0: And welcome to the 730th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who handcrafts a local berry into gourmet products. We're talking with Samara Price about the exceptional elderberry. Samara is the founder of Brew Naturals, a gourmet elderberry company based out of Western North Carolina. Brew Naturals is a farm-to-table product that focuses on real ingredients, delicious flavor, and full body wellness. For years, the elderberry has been seen primarily as a wellness product. However, Samara is committed to making the most delicious elderberry products in the region to showcase their versatility, She is passionate about saving this berry from obscurity by highlighting the culinary creativity it inspires. Welcome to the show today, Samara. Are you ready to rock elderberries?
1: I am. Yes. Awesome.
0: So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Absolutely. Um, About 11 years ago, my family moved from Florida to Western North Carolina, a little tiny sleepy town of Black Mountain. And I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. I had recently switched paths from focusing on a degree in public health, which never actually came full course to fruition. But as a stay-at-home mom, after that move, I was always looking for the next project. And I was hearing great things about elderberry syrup in general during the flu season. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, well, let me give that a try. And I made some at home with dehydrated European berries, the way most people start with the situation. And I loved it. And more than just enjoying the flavor of it, lo and behold, I did not get sick in that season. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, thought, okay, well maybe that was a fluke, but the next year I did it again. And again, did not have a cold or a flu, not none, none of us in the family. Ended up sick that those two first seasons. And uh, so the following year it became, well, maybe I should give holiday gifts. Just make it for a few of my friends and friends turned into friends and family and friends and family turned into community over the years. And then at the end of 2017, my son's school was looking for a unique fundraiser. And I said, well, I know how to make this product and people seem to want this product. And I have the ingredients for this product. How about I make it and you can keep the money? And they were like, sure, let's give that a
0: try. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. (laughs) This is epic in itself because rather than a school fundraiser selling not so great food for us and candy bars and sugar and that kind of stuff, you had them sell your elderberry products.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and so it wasn't, quote unquote, my products yet in the sense of a business, but I did do it that year as a community sort of thing for the school. And I made them a bit of a killing and my husband teasingly and sweetly, but sincerely elbows me in the ribs and he's like, why don't you do that for us now? And, uh, and so that's how it started. The premise being that, yes, that was a beautiful thing to do, but also a little bit challenging because I had literally just started a completely different business. So it was an interesting ride the first year or two of it actually being a full-fledged business.
0: Well, and that's what it takes. It takes experimenting and practicing and doing something crazy, like contacting your school and saying, let's do a fundraiser on this. And yeah. magically it worked. How did that make you feel?
1: That made me feel pretty great. I'm not going to lie. It was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. Wow. Good
1: feedback. I love, I mean, like everyone. I love the validation. I love a pat on the back. And it was not just that they were willing to buy it to support the school, but that they were also genuinely enjoying it.
0: So, Right. Wow. Awesome. Well, so you're in Western North Carolina and let's just call it, you're in Asheville. Well, you're in Black Mountain, which is right, it's a suburb of Asheville. And I'm just outside of Asheville. And so we met at the farmer's market and I was fascinated with what you were up to there and elderberries is something I've always been curious about but I was curious about them in Phoenix yeah. and they don't they don't really grow in Phoenix in the low desert Correct. Uh, but they grow pretty prolifically here yes. uh, tell me about that.
1: Well they do they grow pretty prolifically in the Appalachian areas they also grow as far south strongly grow as far south as South Carolina but there's commercial enterprises even in Florida that are getting up and running because they're just pretty hardy once they get established Mm -hmm. and they do grow in the Pacific Northwest as well and into Canada even and originally I think they are considered original to Europe but they have been on this continent since the beginning as far as I know
0: too. Right.
1: American elderberry and there's a European elderberry.
0: Wow and so you're you're actually not growing elderberries you're sourcing elderberries and then making your products.
1: Correct. But so early on I did have to use more than I cared to use of european dehydrated berries like most producers do frankly. Mm-hmm. But I also came to the knowledge that they grow prolifically well here and I was fortunate enough to be given information about a regional grower and he happened to have several hundred pounds worth selling that first year. And so I was able to establish with him first. And then I basically put an all call out to all my other farmer friends asking, how do I get more of these? How do I find more of these? And in so doing, I was put in contact with a variety of farms of different sizes, some of them as little as half acre. And she's Mm -hmm. doing this urban farmscape on half an acre. It's the most magical thing I've ever seen, (laughs) but she has a stand of elder. Sure enough, I can pull another hundred pounds off of her plants. And one of the plants that I have access to the only property that I go to for less than basically a full stand of elder is a single plant. It's the most magnificent thing I've ever seen. It probably stands 20 feet high and 16, 20 feet across. And they're not normally usually far more wispy than that but I again get about 50 to 60 pounds off of that one plant which is practically unheard of and so now part of the beauty of all that is that when I decided I was ready to name that I was pursuing explicitly regional berries again early days we're talking 2018 I started Mm -hmm. talking to other farmers and friends and convincing people to plant them on my behalf And this year I was able to get my first harvest off of farmers that I asked to plant for me.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Excellent. And are you getting enough berries or do you need more?
1: I am always eager to hear who has and who might want to sell because I do have enough this year for my own needs, I think. But of course I'm always growing and always trying to decide what the next product is. And I get asked a lot for like for, for some of my stash to go to a person at the tailgate market who wants to buy a pound or two or three or 10 Uh of elderberry. I'm not in a position where I'm willing to sell my berries to someone yet. But I can at least say, oh, I might not be able to, but I know somebody who is. So, yes, and I'm not ready to say that I don't need more farmers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Excellent. And you also mentioned something before we started recording. You mentioned something called a service berry.
1: Yeah. What
0: what do you do? I know this is a little little off topic, but what's a service berry do for us?
1: In terms of health and wellness, I'm not 100% sure, but it's my don't tell elder this, okay? You can't tell my elderberry, but it's my favorite berry to eat.
0: <laughs> oh, okay.
1: It's lovely. They grow on trees. I think they also are known as sugar plums. You know, the sugar plum berry kind of concept? Uh huh. Sugar plum is a service berry, it's not a plum at all.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Part of the reason I love doing this podcast is that I get to learn so much and, Given that you're in Asheville and I'm in Asheville, I have a thought that I'm going to get to learn a lot from you.
1: I hope so. Hopefully, we get to work and learn a lot from each other.
0: Yeah, perfect. For those people who have not tasted elderberries, what do they taste like?
1: Okay, so you really are not supposed to eat elderberries raw. Oh. They are stringent. They are a bit sour, a bit bitter. And they can leave you with a pretty upset tummy raw. But when you cook them, that neutralizes that effect. So what do they taste like? I'm not going to lie. They don't taste lovely. They need a little help. But it doesn't take a lot to make it a lovely product. And Mm -hmm. they blend beautifully with ginger, cinnamon, clove flavors. They blend beautifully with apple flavors and peaches, even vanilla. Um, And one of my favorite things to do with my syrup is to just the way somebody might cut a grapefruit in the morning and eat half a grapefruit for breakfast,
0: Mm -hmm. but some people put sugar
1: on it. I don't prefer to do that, but a little bit of elderberry syrup on that grapefruit is magical.
0: Wow. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah. And you've, you've been talking about changing the conversation. We mentioned that in your bio around elderberry. Tell me more about that.
1: So, Elderberries have a very rich, going way back, reputation for health and wellness. But in the modern conversation, it seems like that is the only thing people know about. And I know, for one, that my grandma, and I'm going to go ahead and bet your grandma and your listeners, grandmas, used these berries in pies and tarts and bread concepts and sweet bread concepts they used them like they were food because they are, (laughs) they are food. And so, yes, it has a great reputation. It has a scientific study behind it. At least one study that is really, really profound in the sense that it was double blind placebo controlled had statistically significant results pointing in the direction of the folk wisdom claims are true. And that's not the only one that says that either, but you take that and then you say, but how do we get people to want them again? Because they're not the sweet blueberry and they're not the sweet strawberry, but they are prolific. They grow all over the place. You can literally, I don't for the record, but you can literally harvest them next to the railroad tracks across most of this country. You can harvest them off of you know plants that are growing by the stream side across most of this country. And so why aren't we
0: using them. Using them for more than just medicinal.
1: Correct. Put them in things. I make an elderberry apple butter that is divine. I make an elderberry craft sour mix that was sort of modeled off my elderberry lemonade, which is again, a hot salad for that tailgate market. People do like it. It doesn't take a whole lot to make them more palatable than they are straight off the bush.
0: Oh, interesting. And when you process them though, you're processing them down to a liquid or are you keeping the berries intact?
1: No, not keeping the berries intact. First of all, they're very, very, very small. And a lot of people don't think too hard about why elderberry products tend to be pricey. But the reality is that they are tiny, like a half to a third the size of a normal blueberry. They're Mm -hmm. small, small, small. And the way that they get harvested, unless you have a really huge operation it's almost exclusively by hand because you're not supposed to get the stems in the mix and you're not supposed to get the leaf matter in the mix. And so the easiest way to do that, the most efficient way to do that for most people is by hand. Um, But there's a lot of work involved.
0: Right, exactly. And when you're harvesting them by hand, do you have to pick them a berry at a time or can you grab a handful of berries?
1: Well, You can't grab them hard because they're very small and delicate. But I'll take the umbel, which is the um, upside down bowl shape pod, basically, that they grow on. And I will hold it in one hand with a bucket on my hip and just gently pet them. And Uh the ones
0: that
1: that fall off are the ones that are ripe. And if I'm really in a hurry, I have taken that umbel and used some shears to just cut it off and taken the bucket back home to where I'm then sitting in the production spaces. But that's how I do it.
0: So you've got a bucket of them now. Can you paint a mental picture for us on how elderberries go through this process? What do you do?
1: Okay, so you have this bucket of berries. I am then taking rinsed and sanitized berries to the kettle where I have the elderberry, ginger, cinnamon, and clove, and adding the water, boiling it all together to create that base. And then I will remove the plant matter. It's in the kettle wrapped in cheesecloth so that it's easy Mm -hmm. extract. Oh yes. And then I'm adding honey back in, bringing it up to a simmer again, and adding just a touch of lemon juice to preserve the uh, the pH for it. Because while they are acidic and it's not strictly necessary to have it as a shelf-stable product, you need to be able to show the Department of Agriculture that it is well within the acidic range that it needs to be and not yeah. just at the acidic point that they needed to stay under.
0: Awesome. And then you put it in containers and bring it to the market. Yeah.
1: Then I'm, then I'm bottling it up and bringing it out. I harvest, I cook and I bring. That's how it works.
0: <laughs> I want to go a little bit more in depth from the entrepreneurial perspective. How did you figure out how to do this? I know you shared earlier how you did it a little bit, but how did you figure out how to do this?
1: Of course, the first few years, the batches were just in my home kitchen, right? I mean, right. it was in a three gallon pot and I'm doing two and a half ish gallons at a time because you don't want it to be the full capacity of that pot, otherwise it's going to boil over. Um, but I would do two and a half gallons at a time and share it amongst my friends. And then literally in terms of scaling up that first batch in a real, true industrial sized pot was a prayer that the proportions were going to work. <laughs> and <laughs> They did. And so there wasn't a ton of trial and error, thankfully, because that might've made me cry.
0: So you just experimented. Basically. You probably Basically. read a little bit off of the internet and figured out how to buy dehydrated elderberries from Europe and jumped in.
1: Yeah. And eventually did apply for my own process letter when I was officially doing it as a business. And by that point, I was using a blend, a mixture of dried berries and fresh berries. And over the years, I've been able to increase the proportion of fresh berries and lay off the dried berries.
0: Nice. And going down the entrepreneurial tract again, what does business success look like for you with this?
1: Yeah, so of course, I would not be being truly sincere if I didn't say that the financial aspect and and having a business that is profitable is something, but truly my metric of success is who can I convince to go in on collaborations? Because again, I'm sitting here trying to change the conversation and I'm not literally the only one, but I'm in a minority trying to change the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so when I can convince a brewery to do a collaboration with me, score when i can convince the creamery to make an ice cream flavor score score
0: hold hold on have you made have you done that the ice cream i have
1: i have two different collaborations and i've had um a local creamery called the hop do a couple different flavors over the years and i've had bakeries making scones with it and making pop tart style things with it i love it and i do have a couple cafe is now using my elderberry lemonade and doing remarkably well with that and so when I can convince another business that this is not just a health and wellness product Mm -hmm. that is my
0: metric of success awesome so I'm going to shift on you and I would like for you to talk about a time that you failed how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it
1: (sighs) when I was 18 my friend and I very inadvisedly decided, being Floridians, that we were going to go hike on the Appalachian Trail. And we were from the Flatlanders, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And we trained, quote unquote, but in Florida. And (laughs) neither neither one of us was particularly well-versed at mountain hiking to begin with. And we picked a spot that was within a day's drive to get to. And that was like the only criteria. Well, that's not true. Also, criteria was that it happened to be in the vicinity of her uncle's rustic. That's the word she used, rustic cabin. It was not rustic for the record. It was rough. It was very rough. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, two very wide-eyed girls going on this hike and thoroughly unprepared. If I'm being honest, we were thoroughly unprepared. Mm -hmm. It took us eight hours to get four miles in and the way back down, we decided not to make more than one night out of it. Cause we were like, Whoa, we did not plan this well at all. Let's get out of here. And on the way back down, it took us an hour and a half. So if you can imagine the type of incline, we had gone up that took us eight hours, but now went down in an hour and a half. Wow. She twisted her ankle and I pulled a muscle in my calf. And then we sat there looking at each other, trying to decide what to do about this, because there is, in fact, a hospital 10 miles away. Mm-hmm. But then we would have to call our parents and explain this epic failure. So we basically drew straws and decided that she was going to, even though like, it was both of our right legs, so either which way we were operating this car going home in a position we probably shouldn't have been in. <laughs> but She decided that she would be the one to drive. And we made it home in one piece, but it, it felt like an epic failure Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, a great story in the aftermath, but an epic failure nonetheless. And I would say that what I have learned from that is to prepare better. When you're going into a new environment, do what you can to prepare. Mm -hmm. And in case any kids are listening or young adults are listening Maybe you should go to the hospital
0: <laughs> or
1: <at least laughs> your parents and explain the problem. Yeah. Because I also felt pretty bad about feeling too chicken to do that.
0: But you're smiling what you're sharing is
1: Well, it's a great story. <laughs>
0: yeah. And what do you consider your biggest success?
1: I am not a city girl at all. I find myself super claustrophobic in the presence of big, tall, towery buildings. Right. And my son was dead set on going to Manhattan in the spring of last year. And my wide-eyed self said, well, I don't know how he's going to do that because he can't go by himself. (laughs) And I don't know that I can take him there. But I did my thing. I learned from my previous failures and I Dove deep into that preparation to where I even knew like which subway stations and what trains. We we, we flew into Baltimore and took trains to Philadelphia, to Washington, D.C., and to Manhattan on different days of this trip. Wow. Planned within an inch of my life, I was on a glass elevator that was on like the 102nd floor of a building. Oh, never. I know, Right. So we had we had the public transportation, we had my traveling with a child, we had all the things that are like normally going to make me biting my fingernails and not sleeping. <laughs> and it all worked out. He had a beautiful time. I did things that were stretch goals and in my uncomfortable zones and mm-hmm. we had just a beautiful time.
0: Well, oh, nice. Nice. And what drives you?
1: Community. I think that we are unambiguously a social species and we need each other and so having a community being in a town where I know people being in a town where people know me and I'm not just another face in the crowd and Mm -hmm. you're not Mm -hmm. just another face in the crowd but we actually know each other and we bring each other a dinner when someone's not feeling well and we can sit on each other's porches and talk and have community shops where we sit for an hour over a cup of coffee and just chew the fat. You know, I, I love community. I love keeping the local economy going to the best of my ability by shopping local and supporting local farmers. And I just, relationships are what drive me.
0: I can get that. And you're smiling all the way through it. I love that. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: grading Sweetgrass. By Robin Wall Kimmerer is easily one of my favorite reads of the last decade. And to be fair, I was actually listening to it. I don't necessarily have a ton of time for paperbacks these days,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but her voice was the most soothing. Listen, and even though it, you start listening, you're like, "Oh, I might fall asleep." It's so it's such a beautiful lulling voice. She is so captivating, and she is talking about how. To how, where we came from, like what being a part of the land and treating community, treating the land like its community, where we went from that sort of ethos to a supermarket predator <laughs> sort of ethos, if yeah. you get where I'm saying with that, and having no reference point anymore to what it means to be part of the land and where our food comes from and how you can be sustainable to bring us back to that conversation in such a beautiful and well-written articulate and kind way was just magical.
0: Wow, and she also wrote a book on service berries though, right?
1: I'm not 100% sure if she did.
0: Okay, well there's the when, only- I, when I typed in when I typed yes. in service berry in the search engine her name came up first, so something we'll look into.
1: I will look into that. I know she's written one on mushrooms. I haven't read that one yet, but.
0: Very good. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: If I hear it once a market, it's not, not enough. I hear it all the time that, oh, I have elderberries, but I can never seem to get them because the birds get them or the bears get them. And I'm telling you now, don't give it one more day. Your mind says, oh, those are almost ready. I'll do that tomorrow. Do not do that. Because if you give it till tomorrow, yes, the birds and the deer and the bears will get them. Mm -hmm. But if you take my advice, trim that umbel off, bring it into the house. If you really think it needed one more day to ripen, let it ripen on the umbel on your counter and then process your berries.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Samara.
1: You're very welcome. It was my pleasure.
0: And you're in the Asheville area, sure. but you actually sell online too. So tell us about first of all how our listeners can get a hold of you and how can they get a hold of your products?
1: Yeah, they can go to my website which is brewnaturals.com. and all of my products and all of my packages are there. A little bit of swags there too nowadays. I'm happy to ship. I ship To the lower 48 states. And yeah, there's free shipping over $75. And I would love to give your listeners a code, may
0: I? Yeah, absolutely.
1: If you'll use Urban Farm for the entirety of 2023, we will give an extra 15% off.
0: Oh, very good. So if you use coupon code Urban Farm, you'll get 15% off of your order. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that for our listeners.